Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. This is where we discuss vet-centric topics, the good, the bad, and the ugly. In the hope that listeners will better understand our veterans, our veterans will know they're not alone, and perhaps along the way, we'll learn something about each other. We sincerely hope we accomplish that mission. The opinions expressed herein are mine alone as a veteran. As is our custom on the fourth Wednesday of every month, Dawn Shaw will tell us what's happening at the Hudson Valley VA healthcare system. And recently we visited with Peter Bedrosian, program director at the National Purple Heart Hall of Honor in New Windsor. Coincidentally, our first broadcast in August 2018 featured a virtual tour of this magnificent facility. Since then, the Hall of Honor has undergone extensive renovations and expansion. So tonight, we'll bring you an update on this national treasure. Here now is Dawn Shaw with your VA Today. Thank you. I have some great updates to share with everyone today, starting with the PACT Act. I'm sure many of you have heard the news about the PACT Act and how it was recently signed into law. The PACT Act is a new law that expands VA health care and benefits for veterans exposed to burn pits and other toxic substances. This law helps us provide generations of veterans and their survivors with the care and benefits they've earned and deserve. The act expands and extends eligibility for VA health care for veterans with toxic exposures and veterans of the Vietnam era, Gulf War era, and post 9-11 era. And it expands eligibility for benefits for veterans exposed to toxic substances. While different provisions of the law take effect or become applicable at different times, we encourage all veterans and survivors who believe they may be entitled to benefits to apply today. VA considers the presumptive conditions established in the PACT Act to be applicable on the date the PACT Act is signed into law. So what are the key components of the PACT Act? The act expands and extends eligibility for VA health care for veterans with toxic exposures and veterans of the Vietnam era, Gulf War era, and post 9-11 era. VA will improve the decision-making process for determining what medical conditions will be considered for presumptive status. Every enrolled veteran will receive an initial toxic exposure screening and a follow-up screening every five years. Veterans who are not enrolled but who are eligible to enroll will have an opportunity to enroll and receive the screening. Uh, 
VA healthcare staff and claims processors will receive toxic exposure-related education and training. The act requires research studies on mortality of veterans who served in Southwest Asia during the Gulf War, post-9-11 veterans health trends, and veterans cancer rates. The act will help VA build a stronger, more skilled workforce to meet the growing demand for benefits and services. And the act authorizes 31 new medical facilities across the country, providing greater access to VA health care. As final policy decisions are made by VA over the next several weeks, we will be sharing more communications and materials more widely across all of the Hudson Valley and, and the country. We look forward to the opportunity to serve more veterans and get the care they need and earn. So please stay tuned, and much more information will be forthcoming in the coming weeks and months. I also want to give an update and information regarding our VA Health Chat app that is available. I'm excited to share this information for veterans who receive care from VA Hudson Valley because they now have access to VA Health Chat. And VA Health Chat is an app that enables veterans to chat with a VA staff within minutes to ask health questions, request VA prescription refills, and schedule VA appointments. VA healthcare team members are available for chat between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. local time, Monday through Friday, excluding federal holidays. After initially chatting with a VA staff member about your health concern or question, veterans are connected with the appropriate VA staff member, whether it's a nurse, a pharmacist, pharmacy technician, physician, or scheduler, again, all within minutes. Veterans interested in using this new service can download the VA Health Chat app on the Apple App Store or Google Play and sign in using their DS Logon Level 2 premium or id.me or my healthy vet account credentials as a reminder we also offer the same services through va health connect for veterans who might not want to use an app and would rather speak to someone on the phone and to remind everybody our va health connect single toll-free number is 1-800-877-6976 and that is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So please spread the word about our new and very convenient VA Health Chat app and let veterans in your life know that we're also available 24-7 by our 1-800 number. So again, great resources for our veterans to get timely and quick answers to their questions and um, get their needs taken care of very quickly. I want to also give an update about a new number for our Veterans Crisis Line, which is 988. So in launching VA Health Chat and VA Health Connect, those aren't the only ways that we're making it easier for veterans to get the support that they need. So as of last month, the Veterans Crisis Line has a new number. Veterans can now reach the crisis line simply by dialing 988 and then pressing one, the number one. The new shorter number directly addresses the need for ease of access and clarity in times of crisis, both for veterans and non-veterans alike. 
But though the number is changing, the Veterans Crisis Line dedicated service is still the same, and the old number is still active. This is just an, an additional way and simpler way to reach out. So again, the new way to reach the Veterans Crisis Line is by dialing 988 and then pressing 1. And it's also available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to provide confidential crisis support to veterans and their loved ones. And I have one final update today that I'd like to share uh, regarding all of the different whole health options and uh, services available to our veterans across Hudson Valley. There's a lot of different services that we are enhancing related to whole health, and uh, we just want to share a number of those updates with you. We have a lot of different veteran events each month, and I just want to remind everybody and encourage everybody to get involved in whole health offerings. We have Lifestyle Management Group, which occurs every month for three weeks. And it involves two hours of education related to all things whole health involving dietary, mindfulness, whole health coaching, integrative medicine. It's a great class loaded with information and going over all the different program options that are available for our veterans because there are so many different offerings. This provides a way to, to learn all about them. A consult is needed to participate in this program, and our next session starts September 12th, so please consider enrolling and getting involved. We also have an intro to whole health that occurs twice a month, and these classes are virtual and are on Mondays and Thursdays, and um, you can get enrolled in these classes by getting a consult from your primary care provider or some other provider here at Hudson Valley. And then after completing the Intro to Whole Health, then you have access to participate in many other offerings, including virtual wellness Tai Chi classes that occur every Monday at 10 a.m. We also have a virtual wellness chair yoga class that's beginning in September. We have biofeedback consults, which is a, a biofeedback is a stress reduction approach that is very effective for many people. And that program is being offered weekly. We have a mindful awareness group that runs Wednesdays from 2 to 3 p.m. We also have a meditation group that occurs weekly. And we have acupuncture and chiropractic services that are available at VA Hudson Valley as well. And then coming up in October, we will have a virtual yoga class once a week. And... Also, we have a sleep program starting in September for veterans, and it will involve education on mindfulness, yoga nidra, which is a relaxation therapy, aromatherapy, heart math and biofeedback, cognitive-based therapy, and guided imagery. So there's a lot of great programs happening, and we encourage veterans to reach out and get enrolled and participate in some of these programs. Thank you so much for allowing me to present these updates, and I thank all our veterans for their service to our country, and I thank you, Doug, for allowing me to continue to present. Well, thank you, Don Shaw, Director of the Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, for once again being a guest on Let's Talk Vets and Radio Catskill WJFF.
Here now is some news of interest to our Hudson Valley military community. September 15th to 18th, the Wall That Heals will be at Mount Carmel, 84 Euclid Ave in Middletown, New York. This traveling representation of the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. is authentic in every detail. The display is 375 feet long and 7.5 feet at its apex, containing all 58,281 names of those who made the ultimate sacrifice in Vietnam. The trailer which transports the wall also transforms into an educational center so that friends and family those who did not serve be able to learn more about Vietnam and put this event in the wall in proper context. For more information, contact Knights of Columbus Council 16519 Blessed Titus Bronzma at Our Lady of Mount Carmel, Middletown, New York, 845-250-1466 or www.twthmiddletown.org. And State Senator James Scoofus wants you to know that county veteran service agencies are now able to distribute Fresh Connect checks, greatly increasing the number of sites distributing the checks from 31 last year to 59 this year. Additionally, this year the distribution program for Fresh Connect started May 1st, lengthening the program's utility by two months. A reminder for you, there are no income restrictions, combat service requirements, or length of military service requirements for a veteran service member or eligible family member to receive an allotment of Fresh Connect checks. Any eligible veteran service member or family member may receive $20 worth of Fresh Connect checks for redemption in participating farmers markets, farm stands, and mobile markets. Fresh Connect checks can be used to purchase dairy, produce, meats, fish, eggs, and more. Coupons are currently being distributed. For more information on Fresh Connect and the check program, please call 888-838-7697. Join your friends and neighbors for Vets on Water 2022. Here's a chance to showcase your veteran-owned business or related veterans resource agency the mission this year is turning the tide on veteran suicide and homelessness. Daniel Gagnon, Lieutenant Colonel, retired U.S. Army, is president of the board of the Hudson Valley National Center for Veterans Reintegration, and Daniel puts it this way. We are the veterans, active duty, military, and our families, and we are an integral part of mainstream life here in the Hudson Valley. We are business owners, teachers, health care professionals, we are volunteer firefighters, first responders. We're also elected officials and essential workers who daily make an invaluable contribution to our respective communities. HVNCVR's interest in sponsoring this event is to support each other, build camaraderie, and together celebrate and enjoy life. The event is Saturday, September 10th, 2022. It's at TR Gallo Park in Kingston, New York, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Registration ran from August 8th until September 5th to reserve your table space. You can contact Ashley Myers. Email Ashley at A-R-I-E-L-L-U-V-G-Z-8 at gmail.com. Table setup begins at 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Breakdown from 3 to 4 p.m. Participants must provide their own tables 
chairs, signage, anything else you may need. And participation in this event is free. However, if you're planning to sell merchandise, you must register with the City of Kingston, and there is a $40 permit fee. Be sure to save the date for the Virtual Annual Caregiver Summit. The theme is Suicide Prevention. That's September 16th, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. Sustaining our commitment to trusted partnerships in supporting caregivers to ensure the best care for our veterans, caregivers, and their families. There will be an opportunity for community agency and partners resource sharing. For more information, contact Ann Milliken, General Caregiver Support Coordinator, Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, 845-831-2000, extension 215-122. Or you can call Ann on her cell, 914-506-7342. The National Service Ride is a program promoting the value of volunteering in your community for kids. Chris Holshek and his associates visit schools and organizations to promote the value of service and volunteerism and then connect students with organizations directly at the event. Here's a partial list of area schools currently committed to hosting a service learning event with the support of the National Service Ride and the Orange County Youth Bureau. This September and October, and these dates will be posted later on when confirmed. Cornwall Central High School, Middletown High School, James O'Neill High School, Monroe Woodbury High School, Pine Bush High School, Port Jervis Senior High School, Valley Central High School, and Washingtonville Central School District. They're looking to expand the program well beyond the Orange County borders. So no matter where you are, if you think your area schools would be interested in this event, have them touch base with Michael Bark from Orange County Youth Bureau. Mike can be reached at 845-615-3614. This is a great opportunity for your organizations to get into schools and face-to-face with potential student volunteers to talk about your programs and generate their interest in volunteering and their time to help your organization and their community. Make sure your organization registers with Orange Duchess United Way and the Youth Bureau to make it easy for both the schools to invite you and the kids to look you up after the fair. For more information, contact Christopher Holchek, Colonel, U.S. Army Civil Affairs, retired. Website is the nationalserviceride.net, and you can contact him by phone 845-800-6880. Well, a few weeks back, we walked through the new Purple Heart Hall of Honor with our friend Peter Pedrosian, Director of Programs, and as you will hear, this remarkable facility is worth a visit or a revisit. We're at the National Purple Heart Hall of Honor, and here with uh, a gentleman I haven't seen since August <laughs> of 2018, Peter Pedrosian, who's the Program Director. Hi, yep. Pete. Hi. Nice to be back four years ago, huh? Yeah. Wow. Well, I talked to you in between yeah. Oh, yeah. once or twice. So this is a very special place in many ways. On our first, it was actually my first program, <laughs> right. we did a virtual walkthrough of oh, yeah. what was then 
yeah. the National Purple Heart Hall of Honor. And you guys have gone through a lot of iterations mm -hmm. since then, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to start at the beginning. You are adjacent to the New Windsor Catonment, right? Yep. Which yep. was George Washington's last headquarters. No, the headquarters actually were six miles away in Newburgh, the Hasbrook House. Oh, okay. The Army was here about six miles away. Uh, they leased 1,600 acres of land, and the reason was it was the one spot relatively close to the river okay. that was fully wooded. So they had building material and firewood. So 7,500 officers and men are recorded in and around this area. So at the end of the Revolutionary War, mm -hmm. his senior officers had gathered together because they were not being paid. They were threatening to take over the government to get paid. Well, Horatio Gates and Washington were not close friends, as you might guess. Gates was the influence behind the Newburgh conspiracy. Young lieutenant, and he said lieutenant in those days, got word to Washington about this meeting. He came to the Cantonment, the temple building, the public building as they called it. Uh, and and that's, that's, he, that's over here. Above the hill. Okay. And that's where he made the speech, um, which didn't do very well. Is after that, the gesture of taking the letter out of his pocket and not being able to read it and saying, gentlemen, and he put his glasses on, you're aware I'm going gray in the service of my country. I now discover I'm going blind as well. And he puts his glasses on. You know, that gesture was the equivalent of Roosevelt wheeling himself out for a meeting. And it worked. Henry Knox was at the meeting. Washington left. Knox said, are you going to let him down? So essentially, the Newburgh conspiracy was quelled with that presentation up here on the hill. Mm. So this particular site that you're on started in uh, officially in 1930. When Washington's award, the badge of military merit, was awarded during the Revolutionary War. Which was the, the forerunner of what we now know as the Purple Heart. It's the inspiration for it, by gosh, yeah. yeah. It ought to be permanent and all but got, got forgotten. Pershing wanted to bring back the ideals of that award in 1918. It didn't happen. But finally, when General MacArthur became chief of staff in 1926, he began the process. And on February 22nd, 1932, the modern Purple Heart Medal was born, basically. Okay. So for the bicentennial of Washington's birth, the nation and, of course, New York State were very busy doing programs, commemorations, celebrations, and so forth. And the thought was to preserve Temple Hill, which is the place we're located. So the local veterans, along with congressmen, former Captain Hamilton Fish, formed a committee to pay homage to World War I veterans by awarding them Purple Hearts. The first problem was finding people to make the awards to. They advertised in local newspapers, if you're wounded or get a meritorious service citation certificate, send the information to either Arthur Brundage or Fred Close or Congressman Fish. The materials then collected and taken to Washington. They were authorized and approved. Then they came here for the ceremony on May 28, 1932. So really what they began here 90 years ago to recognize sacrifice, and we continue today. Uh, and then that led, in the mid-1990s, to a letter to the editor of a local paper. Is there a place to honor per plot recipients? And if not, why couldn't it be here? And the result was a genesis group was formed, four men among them, Senator Bill Larkin. Uh, Senator went to Governor Pataki, uh, a history buff. They were authorized to build this facility here, first dedicated November 10th, 2006. And that's how we just got to this location, hearkening back to the war, made the Revolutionary War through its rebirth, so to speak, uh, as the Purple Art Medal. 
And then by the recognition on these very grounds, uh, what they would have called the Great War, we now honor all those who have been awarded the Purple Heart. When I first met you, I was surprised to understand that there's no national registry that the government keeps of Purple Heart recipients. Correct. There's no records of the recipients themselves, but the data are not shared. So our, our mission is to collect, preserve, and share the stories of Purple Heart recipients. And the best way we demonstrate that is through the Roll of Honor, a computerized database available here in the hall or online at our website, which is www.thepurpleheart.com. And as you mentioned, there's no comprehensive list. So that Roll of Honor is built by voluntary enrollments that come from veterans, themselves recipients, their families, or their friends. And as difficult as the process is, it's actually a fairly good sample. It runs from 1862 to 2020. Wow. The first recipient, Warren J. Coase, wounded April 6, 1862 in Charlotte, Tennessee. Seventy years later, he applied for his award of Purple Heart for his injuries. So it's a fairly good database in that regard. All 50 states, Puerto Rico, Guam, Samoa, the Philippines, and two law and Australians. Our first African-American recipient, Eli Biddle. Those who've seen the movie Glory and the climactic battle, Biddle was one of the men at that battle. He uh, was invited back in 1938 to the 75th Gettysburg reunion, and there he is wearing his Purple Heart. Uh, how many people roughly are in that registry today that you guys yeah, We estimate somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to 11 percent of the estimated total, but because there's no way to even get the total correct. No, but I mean in terms of numbers. Um, you know, we, we estimate about 2 million people. We we're, we're about 10 to 11 percent of that. Oh, okay. Uh, that's what we know. The numbers you see more recently are around 2 million estimated recipients. Right, right. This facility... Mm -hmm is more than just that database. So Correct. give us a 10,000-foot view of what this facility is. The building that was originally built was an L-shaped configuration, a long corridor, a timeline, if you will, and a main gallery. In 2015, because of concerns about representation, it, the interiors were redone. In 2019, uh, then-governor of the state of New York authorized a grant of $17 million to expand and enhance the facility. And as a result of that expansion, we closed in... November 2019, reopened a year later on Veterans Day 2020. We almost doubled the footprint of the building and tripled the exhibit space that we now have. Mm. The difference being before with out and back configuration, now you take a journey. You enter the building, you see a large statue of three men during battle, one carrying, two carrying a wounded man. To the left of that, as the panel explains why we are here including the original badge of military merit awarded to Elijah Churchill, given to him May 3rd, 1783. But now you have a journey. It's where the journey begins. Everyone begins their journey by taking the oath. They make a decision to join the military, they're drafted, and the oath, I hereby swear to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States, and so forth. And that first gallery introduces you to that experience, a timeline of Americans' conflict in the 21st centuries, branch cases for branches of service, and something unique, we have kiosks that take you through the journey in the words of the recipients. We found 20 recipients who may either have interviews or diaries and letters. And as you start there, you find out why did this person join the military? What was the, con what was the context of that joining? The next gallery space you go to is the day of the incident. How did you get wounded? Then care and treatment, road recovery, and our last gallery with the interactives that include that is called the ultimate sacrifice. Now, in the first four, 
more often than not, the person is speaking on her or himself's behalf. Sometimes the voiced over. Ultimate sacrifice, of course, they're not speaking for themselves, with the exception of five Gold Star family members. A Gold Star is given to a family that loses a member in war. So we have five Gold Star interviews in that particular exhibit space. So now the visitor who knows nothing about the Purple Heart can get some sense of what it's like to join a military, be wounded, be treated initially, and what it costs to come back home, and similarly learn what happens to those who die in service, how they commemorate it. So that gives you a really rough overview of how the gallery is laid out. But the beauty of it is you can listen to one of those people, all 20 of those people. We also have large artifact cases with themselves interactives. You see an artifact, the caption's good, you're fine, you're ready to move on. Somebody else wants to know a lot more about that, an M1 Garand, a bazooka, a Navy talker's helmet from World War II. They can find out about the item, when it came into service, and the context in which it was used. So you may see something and think, well, it looks like a gun. It's a signal gun. No bullets, it's just a suit of flare. But there are things like that that visitors can now get multiple levels of information depending on their level of interest. So it's a, it's a really great way to bring people in. The challenge then is now is, did we do the right thing? Did we get images, stories, whatever, that resonate with people? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, there are people who have had strong emotional responses, uh, not realizing what was here. Uh, there are those who are commemorated here who are still alive and go, wait, I've been here? Wow. One of our World War II veterans who's passed away, Larry Vinci, he said, you don't know how humbled I am to be in this exhibit. And he goes, we're, we're honored to have you here. Mm -hmm. uh, a very articulate man, a World War II veteran himself, came here oh, about four months before he passed away, uh, and he, he lived here, a very, very happy person. So that's a very quick overview of the galleries, but that ability to go from start to finish is something we felt was extremely important here. So it's a lot more interactive than the original facility yes. was, right? The, the last one was more traditional. Read the wall, right. move on. Right. This one you can stop, and certainly if you see anyone whose name is ident identified in the exhibits here, are all enrolled in the Roll of Honor. Okay. So if you, when you see a boot from Malcolm Tuthill from World War I, you can read Malcolm Tuttle's entire profile as well. So you know, someone who wants that level of detail can find it. Most visitors are happy, oh, it's a boot. That's pretty interesting, and maybe move on. But for those individuals who want to get an in-depth exposure, they've got that. There are two. One's a silent video about being deployed. One's a medical evacuation. And what that is, it's embedded in a UH-1H Huey helicopter from the Vietnam era. It visualizes evacuation from the Civil War to Operation Enduring Freedom and how things have changed. From, yeah, you, know, yeah. you find the hospital to now we have C-17 aircraft can bring you back home in 30 hours. Yeah. What are you finding the level of interest to be amongst the younger generations? Well, it was, it was stronger pre-COVID, of course. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, schools like to bring the kids here because they're getting experience that does fire them up about it. Yeah. You know, the age, the demographics people enter the building here runs from newborns to people who are pretty close, well, in the past, over 100. And certainly, you're you looking at young adults more often than you're going to find, you know, school kids, for example. Yeah. But when the students come here, based on the program we do, they get drawn into it, which is in a good way. Some have a thought for a future career in the military, and their parents want them here to see 
maybe the harsh realities of that career path. Mm-hmm. Certainly it hasn't waned over the years. I mean, there's no difference of, oh, why there? But it also depends on the, on the season of the year. You know, during the school year, now we're, we're beginning to school groups coming back in here, and that's a good thing. Okay, because I get concerned about loss of information. Despite not being taught, perhaps. D- despite you know, earlier education where we did a lot more chronology. Yeah. You know, this in 1776 and 1863 and so forth. Right, right. There wasn't a level of understanding. You know, there was some of that context which we don't get as much now. Right. One of the things that is the challenge for, for any, for all the years I've been here, is children understanding that chronology. You know, they'll see me in a civil war uniform. Oh, my grandfather was in your war. Really? 175 <laughs> years old? Um, you know, and uh, I, I laugh because my generation, my grandparents, World War I. Yeah. You know, these kids now, their grandparents were Vietnam. Yeah. And, but getting that sense of how that time has changed, that is a larger piece to me to show the things have changed mm-hmm. and those that have not changed. Yeah. You know, we, we show the kids uniforms and equipment and explain how things change. You, know, you go to war differently. But the letters you write home, or the texts, I guess you could say nowadays, right. those things, the sentiments reflected there do not change. They reflect volunteering, yes. service, and sacrifice. And one of the ways we, we help give that to children is when we have our program here, they follow Norman Bustle, a World War II Army aviator, through his joining up, being shot down, being a POW, and coming back home. So understanding, you know, I wanted to go, I got you, but I wanted to go. I didn't take the deferment. Uh, this is what happened to me. And I'm glad I did it, and now I'm back home. Mm-hmm. And that's a way for the students to, oh, it really is this thing called volunteering service and sacrifice, and it's a real application of that. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're now walking yeah. <laughs> through, the, uh, through the present day Hall of Honor, and there's some interesting exhibits, as uh, Peter had mentioned, the badge of military merit, the original is on display. And um, the origins of this location, Temple Hill Day, uh, May 28, 1932, 136 local World War I veterans were awarded the Purple Heart Medals on these grounds. So it's very historic. And as Peter pointed out, it takes you on a journey, which is important so that you understand the historical context of what's going on here. And uh, one piece of trivia, only one Marine was here that day because the regulations governing the Purple Heart then were Army regulations. Oh. And the Navy Department said, not so fast for sailors and Marines. But the question was raised, if there are Marines on the ground in France under Army command, should they not qualify for the same awards? And the answer was yes. Sure. So Raymond P. Rogers was a Marine at Battle of Soissons uh, in 1918. And he was the Marine here that day. So those who visit the hall and see his photograph, why is the Marine wearing a second infantry division patch? Because when he was in the war, under the command of the second army infantry division. And this is that this famous um, statue that used to be, <laughs> used to be in the, elsewhere, right? Right, right. Yeah. The statue was taken apart like a jigsaw puzzle and put back together oh my. in the gallery space, in the entry space that they had been to immediately confront you with the uh, idea of rescuing a wounded comrade mm-hmm. and uh, represents a very uh, representation of you of a World War II situation yes. in Belgium in 1944. Yeah, I see a corpsman on the right and uh, 
When was this commissioned? Uh, that was for the last exhibit in uh, 19, 2015. Some features are moved in situ, timeline of America's military conflicts and branch cases, moved from the south side of the building to the north side. Okay. Completely the same. Okay. Uh, take a couple artifacts out, but for the most part, it's what it was before. But the, uh, the big change, of course, is the fact we have a serpentine wall of training and we have a our interactives, of course, about each of the individuals uh, who have stories we've recorded in the past. Okay, so here in this uh, first case, United States Army, we have a, an array of different artifacts from different times. I recognize the Springfield <laughs> rifle with its uh, unique bolt action. And uh, we have a, is that an MRE? MRE, yeah. Meals ready to eat. A beef enchilada MRE. What, no, no sea rations? No sea rats. No, yeah. no sea rats. Have sea rat in my office, but. Uh, what do you keep, keep that in case you're hungry in the afternoon? Or? I, have a, I have a box of sea rats and I have Hershey's Desert Chocolate from Desert Storm. Okay. With the same basic formula in World War II. You know, the gold Carol bars? Okay. Because that was a Boy Scout back in the had these Hershey Tropical Chocolate bars. And of course, as a kid, you don't, you don't pay attention. Yeah, yeah. You know, surplus. Well, it's Carol, so it won't melt in the heat. Yeah. But you can't chew it either. <laughs> so, the Marine Corps case, of course, we harker back to the Marines of World War One, the Teufel Hunden, the Devil Dogs. Right. Uh, is this the uh, is this the K bar that's bent? Yeah, this is a K bar that's bent, and then the. And you told me the story about that. What was yeah, the, the, the story donor about? to this day says, "I have no idea. Maybe it was issued that way. I mean, come on." <laughs> Every time I've asked him, he, he has that, that innocent look on his face like he has no clue. Oh, so maybe he does know. Yes. But he's, he yeah. just ain't saying. Yep. And uh, also, the point you made last time we walked through here was there, there's recognition there was a lot of women yep. in the service and you know, uh, women wounded. In our Navy, in a Navy case, uh, the headgear and the shoe we have represent female officers in the Navy mm -hmm. because uh, even though we don't necessarily think of it that way, uh, they were women in the Navy, um, actually since World War I. My, my grandmother and her sister were actually in the Navy, and my grandmother outranked my grandfather at the end of World War I. Uh, he was a postman's mate. She was a petty. She was a, a yeoman first class, but uh, okay. no, no confusing change of command for them. But we, know, we know in the house she ruled the roost anyway. All right. So we have a lot of cases here. Then we have uh, some uniforms uh, showing from World War I through, I guess this is modern... Uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Today, and right. And so the, uh, the uniforms, uh, ironically, the uniforms fit me. I had a model of those for the oh, setting really? up the cases. So that I did not wear the gas mask in World War I, thank you very much. But the one interesting item about the Marine uniform from Operation Iraqi Freedom, the, uh, the blouse and trousers are from one of our local residents who was killed in action. Uh, Joseph Trembley. So when a family comes to visit, Joseph is here in the exhibit. We have a rotating exhibit. Uh, not that your folks at the radio can see it, but we, it began with chaplaincy, and now it's Temple Hill Day. And in June of 2023, it'll be women in the military. Oh, okay. So for a year or so, we keep up these exhibits so those who come back can see something new. We're actually in the space... That was the end of the ceremonial ground. Correct. And where the brown wall is in front of us, that was the original exterior wall to the, oh, the facility. Okay. So we're we're looking at some um, some computer stations here, which you can do research. 
This is where the, if those who visit the hall right. want to use a roll of honor, this is where they can do that here. Okay. As I said earlier on, they can do it at home, but if they come in, they've seen something in the hall here, they want to look up a featured recipient. Each month I change. I have 20 new featured recipients each month. This month is the Medal of Honor anniversary month. So there are 20 featured recipients are Medal of Honor recipients. Of course, the rest of the database is available and also the enrollment forms because many times someone comes in and the person's not yet enrolled. So now this is the new part we're passing into a large hall. Which, which was the original gallery space, okay. but completely gutted and redone. When, when you were here last time, where you're standing right now was right next to a, a theater. That theater Correct. is gone. Correct. Because we have the 20 stories being told from start to finish. Oh, okay. Uh, and in that place, we have large display cases. We have the helicopter here in the same gallery space. Now that wasn't here before. No, no. <laughs> no it was not. It is a UH-1H, which would have been a 1969 time frame configuration of this helicopter. Crew members are bronze mannequins wearing the regular OG-107 uniforms from the day. And our helicopter is appointed as a dust-off. Folks, if you haven't been here, you, you have to get out here. What's the address here? Uh, 374 Temple Hill Road. That's Route 300 in New Windsor. Okay. And for your GPS purposes, the zip code is 12553. There you go. So now we're walking through some more of the gallery space. And uh, now we're into the care and treatment side. Uh, okay. And also, we have an exhibit in this gallery that talks about awarding the Purple Hearts and has a timeline of the award itself for visitors to come in and get a greater sense of what that means. Okay. The changing nature of care. So this shows, I guess, throughout the years, there's the early <laughs> surgical tools. Civil War through Operation Enduring Freedom. On the side that you, you first see is medical treatment. On the reverse side, it's what happens after you've been treated. We have okay. uh, artificial limbs, glass eyes, that kind of thing that give you a sense of when you go home, how do they make you appear whole again and yes. make you functional? Anything that speaks to the psychological aspects? Uh, yeah, well, in the road to recovery, there are some healing issues. There's one is a spirit, a spirit kite, uh, one is a book of poetry, and then one is the training vest from a dog. Oh, Because yes. part of the healing process often can mean having that, that battle buddy with you. Right, right. Yep, we've done a lot of, um, a lot of interviews with uh, veterans mm -hmm. over the years, and some of them pretty in-depth. Uh, about that uh, road to recovery and what it means. And unfortunately, a lot of those terms like PTSD are thrown around too liberally by people that really don't understand what it is. Basically, is it circa simple, World War II no, or? Well, no, well, the mid 20th century is the 1950s time frame. Okay. Uh, the one arm, the uh, Carnes arm, was a state of the art 1918 arm with a button open and close your hand. Oh, okay. And the second generation Luke arm that we have is one of those second generations of those that are hooked into your own nervous system. Okay. So you could actually pick up a paper cup without crushing it. The Carnes arm was meant to grip something fairly strongly right. and meant more cosmetic. Yes. But these two arms that we have on display are roughly 100 years apart. Wow. Like the change sense. from cosmetic with functionality yes. to full functionality. Yeah. A little less cosmetic. Interactive, so to speak, yep. with, your, with, your, uh, with your brain, your nervous system. This is really, really fascinating, beautiful. What, are this, what is this wall here with these the, the pictures? It's called lenticular wall, and what it does is it shows people in service and then in their later life as civilians. And oh, the idea is to punctuate the idea that Purple Heart recipients 
by your family, your friends, your neighbors, the, the greeter at Walmart, the, post, the postal carrier, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, because sometimes you think about history long ago, far away, almost mythological figures, they aren't. Yeah. There are people all around you, and so we, a number of our local veterans, of course, are here, as you might guess. Uh, other more, more notable nationwide, like Senator Oh, Indiana, I see what Kennedy. it is. So the, the images morph yep. into, uh, from military to, uh, depending on the angle you're looking, I guess. As you, as you go from left to right, they'll change. Oh, I see. And the idea is give you that sense that you have a life in the military and a life after the military. Yes. And again, when people see you, there's, there's no neon sign advertising a Purple Heart necessarily. No, no. Uh, And most recipients are, are quite modest about that anyway. That's fascinating. So when this was going on and this was changing, I mean, you guys must have spent a lot of hours giving input yeah. to the designers or? Uh, the design team designs facility, all the content is ours. Okay. Yes, the con so so you, you guys determined this layout and how it should be? Uh, the, the layout is designed, uh, right. but the content, what goes in, uh, the stories we use. My, my colleague Justin did a lot of work on the videos, for example. We look at our recipients, what materials do we have? We were able to purchase more materials for the artifacts, but a lot of us, what do we have? How can we exploit the existing resources we have? Uh, and that's the way we, we've gone about this. Uh, in contacting one person, Kevin Wallace, his uh, soul kite, he's a veteran of Afghanistan. He's, I'd love to help you out. And so Samuel Deeds, whose dog's training vest we have, <laughs> has been here to see the vest. Mm -hmm. And he had to bring the dog. I want the dog here. Wow. And he goes, she does a, needs a vacation from me every so often. She works 24-7, so he's coming without his dog, Echo. And I'm like, I want her here, a photograph of her in front of her. There you, you go. Know. But uh, the design here comes to how do we tell this story right. to an average visitor, and how do we make sure that when someone walks in here, whoever they are, they can find somebody to whom they can connect. And that's quite, a, that's quite a feat because, you know, you know this so well, but you have to divorce yourself from that and pretend that you're somebody that doesn't. Um, and that's, that's what the challenge. You know, yeah. If Justin and I begin talking, and you're the director, he goes, wait a minute, I'll be your general visitor. Yeah, I'll yeah, be the yeah, yeah. Says, Why yeah. is that? I don't get that. Yeah, you're right, uh, right, you right. Two, you two have to go, get away from the jargon and remember what would be the visitor's experience. Uh, and that's a challenge, and that's the intermediate back in 2015, and now the same thing is a challenge. What will make a different story so that different visitors see different things, whether it's because it's men or women, African-American, Latino, Asians, how do you reach your audience? Yeah. And that's, there's a challenge to that, and making sure you haven't missed somebody, mm -hmm. that maybe it's a great story, you just, because you're so used to the ones you know. So we went back, mining through the collection that we have, we would then compare notes amongst the three of us, and then you know, get a matrix. Yeah. How many Army do we have? How many Air Force? How many Marines, Coast Guard, and so forth, Navy? Uh, and what conflicts do we have here? Right. Um, there's always that, that, that fear that you leave something out that you really think is important. So that's an interesting point. My observation is that in years past, First World War, Second mm -hmm. World War, those conflicts were pretty precise what was going on. Yeah. We knew what it was. It's, you know, we're fighting these people because yeah. of this, and this is what started it. But as, as the face of warfare and the enemy changed, I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, probably began with Korea, it wasn't as clear cut. And, and it's the same piece of ground you're fighting over for two years. Right. 
You know, Vietnam, same way. Right. Uh, they and, take this hill today, they take it tomorrow. Yeah, and now we're going to go back next week again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and similarly, without having front lines with uh, wars and terrorism and so forth, and there is no boundary. You can't go the battle of. There was no battle of. It was a skirmish. It was a patrol. It was a this. It was a that. Right. And that Korea, from Korea till now, I think that's it's fair to say. So one of the one of the difficulties is you have at least photographic evidence <laughs> from. Whatever event it happens to be, right. you know, certainly people have images of the Pentagon from 9-11, but things like the Fort Hood shootings, you don't have images so much of because it Correct. happens so rapidly. Right. Uh, so that's there's a challenge. But telling the stories of those people, yes. One of the reasons we have uh, one of our 9-11 survivor, Brian Birdwell, was in the Pentagon on uh -huh. 9-11. We have him in, 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 in treatment because people should remember those things can happen anywhere, anywhere in the world. Yes. The other beauty of it for us is, you know, we are, we are not politically aligned on a conflict. It's about the warrior. So that warrior, whether or not everyone thought it was a great war or not so great, doesn't matter. The warrior's experience is what we're chronicling here, and that's what's critical. Mm -hmm. uh, remembering that people who fight wars or are injured didn't start it. They had a job to do, right. uh, and that right. took them into harm's way. It's a higher plane for us, but it's one that allows us to understand, mm -hmm. listen to that experience. Mm -hmm. uh, when that person was at Quezon, or they were in Korea, uh, or in Guadalcanal, there are certain things that happen which do overlap. One of our recipients said, you don't see the cost. No. You, know, you may see a missing, an empty sleeve, yeah. or a vacant stare, right. but you don't see the real cost. Right. Now, as you mentioned earlier on the PTSD issues, the internal body issues that you suffer from. So you know, part of our goal is to at least give some feeling, some road recovery um, interactive and open sacrifice interactive, what that represents. Right. And that's, and, that's, and that's good that this is here to do that because, I, uh, like I said before, I think that um, a lot of the younger generation doesn't know, and, and, and why should they? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, you look at, uh, you know, nowadays it was 1% of our population served in the military. Right. Um, and as a result of that, you know, and the life that one's parents served is lesser and lesser. Right. You figure anyone whose parents or Vietnam generation, yeah. you know, we, we'd scale back on the proportion of people serving yep. and stop the draft in 76. Yeah. And as a result, you know, the odds of you having a direct connection to a military past yeah. are fewer and fewer. Right. In my right. case, mine runs 1755 to 1955. Okay, wow. So they 200 years. Yeah, yeah. Now, so my generation came in just as what Vietnam was winding down. Yes. So we weren't called into service. Right. Uh, but if I can go back and you know, I look at the, the generations that precede me. Well, and, and, and the, like in World War, I don't know about so much World War I, I suppose, but in World War II, the country was definitely unified. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but in the sense that there was a, a, a stronger sense of we are behind this, we're impacted by this, right. we need to support this. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the level of awareness. Yeah. Uh, we know that there are things kept secret from the public, okay. Sure. But you knew that people were going overseas. You, yeah. know, you didn't hide that from anybody. Right. Now it's, you, know, you may not know that a plane leaving Stewart is taking people on deployment. Right. It's, it's just, it's just, it, they're going and they're doing their job. Right. But it, it's, not, it's not suppressed, it just isn't. So this is, a phenomenal thing here. You, you guys have done a great job here with this layout and everything, and it is, it is, it is truly beautiful. And then the altar sacrifice area was something we really couldn't deal with before. There was no way for us to represent it. Right. I mean, here we've taken about 45 individuals and covered you know, their experiences. In some cases, uh, there are people like Barney Bogdansky, who was in all five of our interactives because okay. he was wounded 
Okay. In February of 1944, went back into service because she was healed. Right. He was killed in June of 1944. So I'm Johnny Mill, another one of our, our Korean War veterans, who said, Korean War soldiers the same way. Uh, in some cases, we have the last letter home. We have dedications to that individual. In one case, we have a letter from a, a Vietnamese officer who served with one of our officers. And 30 years later, after he escaped Vietnam, after the war ended, he was re-educated. Yeah. He then wrote a letter to the captain's son. I want to tell you about your dad, how much I loved him, and on his last day on Earth. So the, the whole experience here now is kind of like a loop. A loop, right? Big so loop. it's a loop. Thank you, Peter Pedrosi. Oh, thank you. Glad to be seeing you again, as opposed to on the radio, in real life. We wish to acknowledge the following people and organizations that made this show possible. Don Shaw, Director of Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, and Peter Bedrosian, Program Director at the National Purple Heart Hall of Honor. And of course to you for joining us on Let's Talk Vets. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. Also send us your upcoming events so we may get them on the air both in our normal public affairs segments and this program. You can drop me an email at vets at wjffradio.org. And if you or someone you know is experiencing problems and you need to speak with someone, 24 by 7 confidential crisis support is available. It's simpler now. All you have to do is dial 988 and press 1. You can send a text message to 838255 or start a confidential online chat session at vetscrisisline.net. So until our next formation, I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. And we'll leave you tonight with an original song by Pearl Clarkin of the duo Wester, which echoes the sentiments of probably every military family. Good night. Her daddy said goodbye, her mama started to cry He had to go and fly away again She said, Mama, why do people fight? And his daddy gonna die in that place called Afghanistan well, She was old enough to recognize the hurt But too young to understand Mama's words. He ain't a saint, but he's a hero. And when my heart is torn, I always love the soldier, even though I hate the war. I wanna be the prayer that brings him home again. And God, please let him know how proud I am. With her very own six foot tall Marine. And now he's over there, breathing desert air. Watch
She's watching kids burn flags on her TV Sometimes it feels like no one gives a damn Don't they know he's out there fighting for them He ain't a saint but he's a hero And when my heart is torn I always love the soldier Even though I hate the war I wanna be the prayer That brings him home again And God please let him know How proud I am Of my military man oh. He ain't a saint but he's a hero And when my heart is torn I always love the soldier Even though I hate the war I wanna be the prayer That brings him home again And God please let him know How proud I am And God please let him know How proud I am Of my military man